Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer. I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. Have uh, just uh, two great people here at the beginning of the show, and we also have a wonderful lineup of guests throughout the year. We're even already planning and working on 2016, so we hope you'll come back and join us uh, again and again each week here. Every uh, Tuesday at 1 p.m. or on that podcast. So uh, the way the show works is we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, uh, the world talent has a couple different meanings, and we look to really try to explore that. The first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. The second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. Uh, this show will explore these two different areas, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture. Uh, the, the guests on the show are usually CEOs and HR execs, entrepreneurs, uh, coaches, authors, just you know, great leaders, business leaders from all different types of industries. What usually happens is I get to meet one of these people at a networking event or a conference and uh, find them inspiring. So I decided to create this forum to allow you to listen in our dialogue, learn some practical advice on how to cultivate talent, uh, develop your leaders and manage your culture, and most importantly, uh, impact your own career in a positive way. So I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. Uh, if you have questions, uh, when we're doing this show live, you can always send them to just write out your question, then put the at people G2 in there. The hashtag uh, talent talk will help as well. And my producer, Mike, can uh, feed me the questions uh, as they're appropriate during the, during the show. We also love other suggestions you can send us anytime uh, about guests we should have or questions we should ask. We love the feedback. Uh, don't forget you can tune into this show. This is how most people actually interact with it. They go on a couple different ways. The first is they uh, search for Talent Talk on that podcast app on any of your Apple devices or iTunes. Uh, currently with uh, that audience, we're over 235,000 of you who are tuning in and listening each week. Really appreciate that. You can also go to the iHeartRadio app on any device, on any platform, and look for Talent Talk there as well. And uh, you can get hear all the past shows there as well. So we have a great growing audience there, and we really appreciate everybody being there. So let's get to today's show. My uh, guests uh, today are Jonathan Seats. He's a president of Bellwether Training, LLC. And then uh, the second half of the show, we'll have Mike Fingato. He's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Modo. So look forward to speaking uh, with Mike during the second half of the show. But let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, about your company, and what you've been doing. Well, I, I started out my career in, in teaching and education in the nonprofit sector, Um moved quickly into the business world and worked for a company, started out in bottom-level sales and ended up on the executive team. We sold the company for $300 million and thought, hey, let's do it again. And we went to the dot-com world and started another company. And I got a little tired of that and opened up a photography studio just for fun and looked at franchising that and uh, ended up leaving that, went for another company that was an international company and ended up being vice president of sales for North America for that company. And then, uh, actually I looked around, I saw uh, some leadership and development uh, sessions. I went to a Crestcom international training course and, and thought, man, I should have been doing this all along for my team. And at that point in my career, I thought, well, why, why am I not? And, uh, actually, the vice president of operations also at that company went to the same program. We decided to form a company and uh, develop a partnership and started doing leadership and management development training um, as as our our next next career. And that's where uh, Bellwether Training actually got started. 
So your company is really dedicated to improving employee engagement and productivity and profits through leadership and management skill development. So what are some of the key tools that Bellwether Training utilizes to ensure companies understand what it takes to, to see growth in those areas? Well, um, you, you cover you had three things, employee engagement, productivity, and profit. So they're, they're all obviously a bit different. Uh, employee engagement, it depends on how you measure, measure that. Um, HR tends to measure that and whether that's uh, related to satisfaction or whether that's related to how employees use their um, extra you know, time and energy in the organization. Productivity, I think, is easy to measure, um, a, a bit easier to measure. Um, you know, we all know the engagement uh, statistics that came from Gallup that says 70% of the employees are not engaged, and it's a $400 billion loss to the, to the U.S. economy. So productivity, obviously, is the ability to see results, and then profit, profits um, is quantifiable, right? There's targets. So what do we do to help, I think the question was, to help companies see growth in these areas? Well, I think one of the, the first things that we do is we actually, um, you know, you can talk about it all you want. If a company is going to see it, they're going to see it with their own people. So what we do is we initially, with any company that we engage with, we do a two-hour workshop with them. Um, during the workshop, we measure the current areas of development or needed areas for growth for skill development of their measure, of their managers, talk about what it is to be a team, um, where they believe they should be growing based on the needs of the organization. Then we go through some actual training for two hours and training in areas of communication in team development in um, how to, to develop more effective uh, teams and then they create from that action plans. And so at the end of that session, if they go through some training themselves, these managers and leaders, and they develop action plans, and they quantify the action plans, say, this is what I'm going to do based on the training I just got. I'm, this is how I believe it will affect the organization, both soft and hard uh, quantify, quantification. And then... We look at that, measure it, and hold them accountable for it, and then measure it afterwards. So it's really through the process of doing it and showing it live with managers. That's how companies get to see it and, and measure or understand what we do as far as growth. Does that make sense? So you talked a little bit about measurement. You know, so how are measured results gauged with a, with an organization that you work with? Oh, I think both hard and soft measurements. In other words, if, you, if you're trying to develop skills in communication or customer service or leadership or problem solving or strategic thinking or team building, there's always, um, you know, soft issues that come with that. Um, do, I have, do I have more engagement? Well, I'll give an example. Um, one of our, our enrollees is a front desk manager of a hotel. They had a, an employee that wasn't uh, wasn't engaged. Actually, they, they said they're going to fire them because the, their attitude and they were bringing the whole team down, et cetera. So we went through one of the sessions where we talked about mentoring and, and backwards or, or uh, uh, yeah, mentoring. And she went and started to mentor or actually have that person mentor, mentor her. The result was he turned around. I mean, he was a completely different employee. He was engaged. He was happy. He was um, engaging the, the, you know, hotel guests, et cetera. And when she came to us, she said, wow, that's really good. We talked about the soft issues, but you can measure the hard issues. You know, what was the cost? She was going to fire this individual. What was the cost of firing somebody? There is a cost there, whether it's seven, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 in rehiring somebody instead of turning them around. So that's a hard measurement, a quantifiable goal. So there's some of the some of the gauges, and, and they're they're all over the place. If you look at an an, an employee that's not engaged, say they're a fifty thousand dollar employee and they're not engaged, they're they're you know kind of you know just slacking through through their job. Well, you're only getting twenty five thousand dollars worth of benefits from that from that person if they're a fifty thousand dollar employee. So what's the what's the difference of them actually? beginning to produce what you expected them to produce. So those are some of the measurements. It's, it really changes the actual measurement, whether you're looking at return on investment or net gain, 
changes based on you know the activity that you're involved in. So is a lot what you're looking at on a more specific level? Because there's certainly those very soft things we can talk about, you know, looking at particular employees, but there can also be this kind of larger view of the company and there are things we can do for the company uh, general uh, stance as well. So do you kind of put your, you know, a foot in each camp there or do you spend more time in one area versus the other with, with your clients? With our clients, um, it's it's usually on the on the you know micro level because it's about change for each individual. It's about development. Um, you know, we're not going in and consulting with the company and saying, "Hey, you know, you're you're missing the market. You need to go into this market. You're doing, you know, this. You're not marketing this well." Blah blah blah. Basically, what we're doing is we're teaching leadership and management development skills for individuals to affect their department. And their, you know, their company. So when you see that happen, um, you're able to measure very specific things. Because when a person is taught a skill, and they can say, "How am I going to put this into action?" They have an action plan in doing that. They're they're projecting results, and then you can look at measuring those results. Now sometimes they're huge things. You know, when we talk about strategic thinking or managing change, and the organization is going through change. And most change efforts, you know, don't uh, produce the results that people want, but they go through the process, they learn the techniques and strategies for developing a better change process, and that change process is successful, it can have a huge impact on the company. I guess one of the, you know, for example, I I did one of those two-hour workshops not too long ago with a company. At the end, and the CEO and all their managers were in the company. At the end of two hours, they basically said that if they follow through with the activities, and this is on a, a micro level, if they follow through with the activities that they develop, the action plans that they develop, they would affect the organization over the next year $20 million. Now, you know, is that is that realistic? Is that really what's going to happen? We don't know until we measure that through the year. But those are that $20 million is not based on one giant thing. It's based on each of the individual managers changing some aspects about their management skills. So do you see some common themes then? Um, obviously, if you're going in and looking at this at a micro level, then, you know, are, are companies generally sl- struggling with particular problems or particular areas or generations? I mean, there's sort of, you know, kind of some common threads that you're seeing out there? Yeah, I would think so. Um, we... We do that analysis in that in that two-hour workshop. Uh, one of the things that that I ask and, and put everybody's up on the up on the board is, you know, what's the biggest issue that you have in managing or leading the people or the team that you're that you're in charge of? And if they're not actually leading, you know, if they don't have somebody reporting to them, maybe it's it's between departments because they interact with departments every time. I mean, there's there's you know, everybody's unique. Um, every company's unique, but it's funny how uniquely similar they all are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've come up with, based on that, you know, those responses over and over and over again, and Crestbound's been doing it for 28 years, we've come up with 10 basic competencies that if these areas of skills were developed and improved, it pretty much covers everything everybody puts up there. And it's, again, it's communication, customer service, developing people, leadership, managing change, negotiation, problem solving, raising productivity, strategic thinking, and team building. And so it usually, it, it always fits, I would say always, almost always, 99% of the time, fits in one of those key developmental areas, their skill developmental areas. Well, and those are some wide-ranging things, but the way you've kind of laid them out is specific enough that companies can begin to start to think about those different areas and which one of those might they need help. Maybe they might need a company like yours to come in and help them um, because every company seems to have something, at least one area they need to work on. It's usually probably a little bit everything or uh, in some companies that I've worked with, it's probably everything on the list and maybe a little bit more. You know, so it's kind of fascinating how much similarities we have despite having different employees, having different industries, different products or services, how it comes down to kind of a similar human element. Yeah, it is. And, and 
it's they're all similar. Um, different people have different degrees, and we don't talk about everybody raising all of these skills in these areas to equal degrees. In other words, if you're going to be a team, if you're a management team, uh, aren't some of your managers or one of your managers, shouldn't they be really, you know, more skilled or, or be a natural uh, thing for them to be great at leadership or somebody else is great at team building or somebody else is, is great at problem solving? Do you all need to be equally as, as good at the same thing? I mean, isn't that what a team is, that you can look to other people in those areas of strength? But the thing is to to raise all of those. If you're really good at leadership, hey, take that up a little a, a bit a bit further but if you're not good at team building take that up a bit further too i think one of the things that we realize or that i think is a struggle with companies is where do managers come from i mean Mm -hmm. the the reality is managers get recognized um, for their individual performance right they're good at their job and somebody comes along and says okay we need a manager or leader for that department you deserve a shot you're it and they become the manager. Well, the, the day that they become a manager, their entire job changes. Their skill set that they need to, to employ in their new job, because before they were individual performer, now they're responsible for the productivity and profitability of the team. Where do they get the training for that? Where do they get the skill development? We just expect them to be good at it because they're a good performer. So those, those 10 competencies really are the 10 competencies that that we've seen um, are the competencies in developmental areas that a, a manager typically doesn't get um, but needs. So, you know, let's say we've got one of those people that's now suddenly found themselves thrust into this new position. They're, they might be sitting at the same desk, but their business card has been updated and their title has been changed. And w- if we look at employee engagement, let's say, as an area. So now they've got a few people working for them, maybe even a large team of people. What are some of the areas you kind of see that they should think about, um, kind of going off lessons where other people have failed? How how does someone in a new role like that begin to approach uh, the engagement of those people around them uh, to be as high as possible? A couple things. One, they they have to understand, you know, what their role is. I, I had somebody two weeks ago tell me one of the issues that they were facing was how do I go from uh, being one of us to a leader of us, um, and so there there is there are some some challenges there with that because you know hey last week you know we were um, at the water cooler and we were talking about how stupid management is and now suddenly you're one of the managers so you know what what's the difference I think that's a challenge um, a second thing is. Somebody in that role needs to really grapple with what's the vision of the company, what are the values of the company, um, have I bought into them, and how can I, you know, communicate those in the area that I'm now working. In other words, I have a department. My department falls under this vision of the company. How can I get my the individuals in this company to give, um, you know, their time, their effort, their their talents, their skills, everything toward this vision is it big enough and and i think they have to really buy into a vision of something that's bigger than just showing up for work i think that's part of what leadership is 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 communicating a vision and getting other people to buy into that vision and then management has a lot to do with how to you know how do we interact with these people to get their skills developed to fall into that vision to to employ the vision how do we get them how do we release some of their skills I think sometimes we're, we're, um, we fall under the category of managing too tight. We don't release people's abilities and get them involved in, in, uh, employing the skills that they have. And then how do we help them develop new skills and see their, their place in this bigger picture? There's some of the things that a, a new manager has to deal with. And, and, you know, some people walk into those roles and they, it's very natural for them or they have a very natural ability to seek out the help that they need to to get better to find mentors and read books and go to seminars or whatever it is that's going to help them but you know for for the other others that are maybe struggling a little bit more is there a tipping point or there maybe kind of warning signs that they things they ought to be looking for to, to kind of cue them that maybe they need some additional help maybe they need you know some additional training like from a firm like yours 
I think I'll go with some of my own personal experience. Um, I think the moment you start to feel a lot of frustration um, that you see what you should be doing, you see what you know could be done, you you know what you're being being judged on, and you've got a frustration that you're just not really sure how to get there. I think that's a good internal you know telltale sign. I think when people aren't uh, responding well, when you are are having meetings and people are are saying yes, and you know because that's the right thing to do in a meeting when you're you're having instructions and you go out of the meeting but you're not seeing them actually performing what they said in the meetings, something's wrong. So I think those are probably two two really good signs. Well, let me let me back up a step because I think what we did is we just we're talking about individuals that you know, find themselves at either completely new in management or uh, an area where there's frustration, et cetera, et cetera. One of the challenges that, that I find, you know, as I talk to organizations, I meet with CEOs all the time, several a week, et cetera, and as I do that and I talk about, you know, where are their managers, how do they feel about their managers, et cetera, most of them feel like their managers, whether they've been there for a month for five years aren't doing the kinds of things that they feel like they should be doing. You know, the Gallup poll, what's the Gallup poll that came out that said 70% of, of most managers or most employees aren't engaged in their work, and they came back and said 50% of most managers aren't. You know, that's that's a challenge. So I don't think it's just new managers because there's skills that need to be developed. It's like, you know, I had a sales team. I had a, a great sales team. They were making big money over you know quarter of a million dollars each 12 of them but i made them every year go back and listen to basic selling techniques because we forget to practice some of these things some of these skills mm-hmm. and i think managers even that have been there a long time i have managers in our sessions that have been managers for 10 15 years and they're walking out going wow i think i knew that this isn't all new it's about putting it into practice yeah, sometimes going back to basics and just remembering some of those very, very simple things. Um, you know, if anyone's ever watched a professional sports team warm up, very often they're doing very, very small, fundamental, very specific things that almost look like something you might see a, you know, a recreational team doing. Um, they're yeah. doing them, and they look much more athletic doing them, but if you really watch what they're doing, it's very small movements, very fundamental basics, and yet, great point in business we don't always do that it's kind of on to the next thing what's the next book what's the next buzzword and instead of going back to what are some of the basics here am i communicating you know am i um listening am i you know what are these real simple things that we can do to have those good connections and uh create empathy and and engagement with our staff yeah well one of the things i think that, that struck me early on in my career I would always talk to these guys, these managers in my in any of the companies I was in, and everybody tell me about the great book that they read and how this book was awesome. And you know, I'd I'd look at the book, I'd read the book, and I'd look and I'd go, "How has it made a difference?" It was a great book, it was a great conversation, but I'm not seeing any change. And I think that as managers, as leaders, as companies, we get involved in the day-to-day business. It's that old thing, you know, are you working on your business or in your business? And I think very few people take time to work on their business to improve areas. The other thing that I that I I think I see, there, I was listening to NPR not that long ago, and, I, and they brought out a statistic. They, they um, said that a new research study was done, 83% of all the people surveyed in um, a work environment, believe they're the most productive person in their in their company. Eighty-three hmm. percent believe they're the. How can that? That's not even possible, right? So I also believe that we have a not always a realistic vision of ourselves. In other words, I was I was a manager. I always found that everything I said in meetings that was supposed to be funny was hysterical. Everybody thought it was really funny. I'd walk out in a different environment, I'd say the same things. It wasn't nearly as funny. So we don't always have a good picture of really how well we're doing or how effective we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're getting down here to the end, and I want to make sure we ask you uh, two important questions. And the first is, is, uh, is there a book that you are reading right now that you might share with the audience? 
I was afraid you were going to ask me something like that, to be honest with you. I don't have a good answer because the last book that I read is Sailing Essentials. I decided that all work and no play is, you know, makes me a dull person, so I'm, I'm taking a sailing class. Now, what I can say is I've learned a lot through it. Uh, the idea that you can't change the wind, but you can adjust the sails, and you get on a boat as a captain, and you've got to get people all going in the same direction. There's a lot of things I've learned through it, from it, but to be honest with you, I've, I've taken a recreational point of view from my last book. Well, we, we find that the answers that we get are fascinating from different types of people we have in the show. So, and that is, your answer there is no different. Uh, certainly, really appreciate uh, you, you sharing the, some of those correlations that you picked up on. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, how can uh, people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, bellwether training? Well, they can come to the website, which is bellweathertraining.com. Or, actually, they could call me directly. I'm at 619-204-9130. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you being on the show. I know we uh, there's probably a lot more we could get to, so maybe we'll have you come back at some point, and we can uh, get an update from you and get to the rest of it. Uh, but, again, really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, I'd love to come back. Chris, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right, up next we'll have uh, Mike uh, Fingato who will join me after this brief commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget, you can uh, tweet us and uh, send us any great questions you might have uh, for uh, my next guest or uh, any other suggestions or um, questions you'd like to see asked for future guests. At PeopleG2, use that hashtag Talent Talk. We'd love to get your suggestions and questions. You can also visit TalentTalkRadio.com and get all the uh, past episodes if you can't get to your podcast app or iHeartRadio app. Uh, to catch him there. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Mike Fingato, uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Modo. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your company does. Uh, yes. So uh, our company, Modo, is essentially a on-demand uh, platform for home services, uh, namely lawn care. Uh, and for those of you that may live outside of L.A. and maybe on the East Coast, uh, snow removal as well. Uh, so basically, we're the Uber of home services. Um, my background, I used to work for uh, the automotive industry, worked for a startup called Tread, uh, which did at-home test drives, so we innovated the way you car buy, uh, basically never having to go to a dealership ever. Uh, just imagine a new car showing up in your driveway or at place of work. Uh, did that and quit last April to pursue this endeavor uh, after meeting up with a former teammate of mine and mentor of mine at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and we decided that this was the industry we wanted to innovate next. Um, so that's what I've been doing the last year and a half, and it's been great. So what is it about being an entrepreneur that you find to be so challenging and exciting that kind of keeps taking you from project to project? For me, it's honestly building something and then hearing the stories of customers' lives we've kind of impacted uh, with our services. Uh, for example, our first customer ever uh, with Moto was a 71-year-old widow in Omaha, Nebraska, 
uh, whose son actually reached out to us and said, hey, my mom is 71 years old. She lives by herself. Uh, I don't want her out there in the Omaha heat mowing her own lawn. Uh, can I use her guys' service? Uh, I'm willing to pay for it. I just want to make sure that somebody actually comes by each time. Uh, and through our application, he was able to manage it, pay for it, uh, and get an instant quote and know exactly when the provider came by each and every time. And so he knew his mom was taken care of. And I, I just love hearing those stories and, and impacting people uh, with a service that people love using. And we have realtors that use it. We have homeowners that use it, banks that use it for foreclosed homes. Like there's just so many use cases. And I love building a product that touches multiple uh, people and different use cases. So that's what keeps me kind of uh, going from startup to startup and innovating industry over industry and, and really keeping it up and, and keeps me motivated every day I wake up. Yeah, it's very cool. And I know kind of looking at your past here that you started a company while you're in college called uh, notelog.com. What was, you know, this venture and, and how was that working uh, to grow and eventually be acquired uh, later on by uh, Notewagon and Intel? Yeah, so uh, interesting story there. I was a former college athlete. I got injured my sophomore year. I went from being an Army ROTC cadet to college athlete, student athlete, uh, to literally just being a student. Um, so one of my teammates and I, we decided, heck, uh, we have such a structured life in college with Army and, and, and athletics uh, that what are we going to do with all of our, what we saw is free time. Uh, so we decided that uh, as our teammates and stuff were traveling and professors had all these lectures, let's put them all online. Let's let's basically stream or, or post the notes um, from your class lectures so that anybody at any school can have access to that, I guess, that presentations and stuff and study materials, um, regardless of whether you're at that university. You may be studying macroeconomics up, up at Cornell, but maybe down at University of Miami, the professor teaches it better and you can get access to the lectures. So then a company called Notewagon, which was actually on the uh, British version of Shark Tank called Dragon's Den, uh, doing what we were doing up in Canada, reached out to me and decided that uh, they wanted to grow their operations here in the U.S. Uh, so I joined their team. We all moved to San Francisco. Uh, and then eventually uh, a company called No, which did online kind of tablets and digital versions of your textbooks, uh, got acquired by Intel, and we were working with them closely. And basically now the assets are owned by them. So it was, it was a great experience, my first shot at being an entrepreneur. And uh, it, it, was, it was definitely great uh, going from, one school to all of a sudden 50 schools and having hundreds of thousands of students using a service was really, really cool. And that kind of gave me the bug to continue to want to do uh, entrepreneurship and, and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the start. And then, and, and where you are now, again, as you, you mentioned, Moto and kind of being that Uber for lawn care. And uh, I know you talked about the the snow version as well for, for any of those people who, who aren't blessed to live on the uh, West coast, like I am uh, and need those services. But, um, how did you develop that idea for this? Uh, you know, you talked about some of the, the neat stories, but, you know, what was kind of the idea initially to really get into there, and, and how, how have you found success in taking it through the mobile platform? Yeah, so Moto actually started as a pivot from a consulting firm that uh, a couple of my former teammates and I had called Athletepreneur. Um, we had a lot of teammates and just co- former collegiate pro athletes that wanted to transition uh, either into business or startups but just didn't know how to. Uh, so we moved to Omaha, Nebraska, actually, to uh, and Lincoln, Nebraska, actually, uh, to help entrepreneurs there um, that were former athletes start companies. Uh, and in doing so, we met a mentor at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and we decided that an industry that's been very fragmented and is huge, actually it's five times larger than taxi industry, for example, uh, long care industry in the U.S., $74 billion, uh, was home services. $400 billion is spent every year in home services. And so we were like, let's attack that. I started off with just mowing, and then now we've branched off, like I said, to offer services to where, I mean, I have family in Boston, and they had the worst snowstorms last year, and uh, right. so now we have Snowdo for that. Uh, and then building a mobile platform, about half of our users find us on the web, um, and then the other half are actually uh, going on their mobile devices. Uh, we have a web app, so it works on any device. You don't have to download the app. You just go to the moto.com, uh, and you can find it, and we give you an interface, and from there, it's just grown uh, word of mouth and SEO. Just uh, our customers love talking about us, and we, to date, have spent very little on marketing because our customers have continued to just tell other people about it, and it's been great for us to grow via word of mouth. And uh, we've now serviced customers in over twenty states. Well, that's the best way to grow, given the uh, how, how cheap that is and free. Most of that kind of marketing and publicity can be if you have people out there talking about you. Uh, I know you had people talking about you uh, in L.A. It was a few months back when you were at the Miller Lite uh, Tap the Future event, and uh, you had the uh, privilege of, of winning that particular night, and I had the uh, privilege of being one of the judges. Um, it was a great event, and 
I was just curious how that overall experience was for you, and if it, you know any of that uh, exposure and being involved in that, you know, helped your business overall. Yeah. So for those that know Miller Lite Cap the Future, they give two hundred thousand dollars to an entrepreneur uh, across the country. I think they had over four thousand companies apply this year. Uh, we won the regional event down in Los Angeles. I'll actually be back down in Los Angeles pitching for Tech Week um, all next week as well. There's great events down there. Los Angeles is has a great uh, tech scene, and it continues to grow. Uh, the Miller Lite, uh, it got us exposure. We got to pitch to Damon John. Uh, you were one of the, the panelists. Uh, got to, to pitch and get feedback from smart panelists as well. Uh, and then we went to Chicago to pitch for the finals. Uh, the team that won it ended up being a continued education platform for prisons, uh, prisons which I think is a, a great cause, and he had a great story. Uh, for us, it allowed us to get more exposure. Uh, we actually uh, inked a couple partnerships uh, in Chicago while we were there. So we're now working with realtors in the Chicago area uh, through Redfin um, and actually servicing some of their homes as well uh, that they have for sale. So uh, it was a great exposure for us, a great experience, uh, a great thing for my team to be a part of. And we actually added a couple team members, uh, one of which is actually from L.A., um, through the exposure we got in L.A. So it was, it was a great experience for us, and I highly recommend people look at pitching opportunities. If you have a startup idea, uh, there's opportunities and even grants. The first money we ever got was a $50,000 grant from the state of Nebraska. Uh, who would have thought? <laughs> but right. uh, that, that's, what we, that's what we started off with. And from there, we've grown and raised a little bit more money and, and built our team. And, um, but definitely look at platforms like that to, to get exposure and to just get your pitch out as well and tell your story. And I think it was a great event for us. Besides getting that publicity, um, you can start to get some uh, articulation of your idea and what you should be selling and not selling. I mean, that, you'll never please everyone. You'll get people that are for it and against it, but you can de- sometimes spark some ideas or get some clarification on really what your market should be, who you should be going after. Um, obviously, if 100 out of 100 people tell you you're an idiot and you shouldn't be doing it, you might want to think about that. But you know, in, in general, you get some pretty good perspectives and, and directions, I think, from any of those types of events, especially the Miller Light event, you know, we get that kind of focused uh, uh, thought about what you're doing and how you're doing it. You can almost see sometimes when I've been involved in that that event and different ones, almost this like moment of one of the people on stage gets an idea or they get some clarification on based on feedback they got. They their brains already going. They're already have thought about how they're going to change the business or how they're going to improve it. The very next day. Uh, just from that kind of, you just can't replicate that sitting in your conference room with whoever you have in your company. No, you, if you leave a closed wall and you don't get out there and expose yourself to other people's ideas and, and opinions, then obviously you're going to not be able to grow as quickly as you can and, and innovate or, and or pivot as quickly as you need to uh, to make a solid product or, or company. So uh, definitely Miller Lite was a huge success for us um, beyond even the $20,000 we got just to meeting the, the mentors and advisors and the whole experience is definitely useful. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit deeper about the inner workings end of your company and uh, maybe start here with uh, your own management style. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that maybe it's changed over the years from when you started uh, your first company till now. So, you know, have you un- uncovered some more effective ways to manage? Do you feel like you, you actually have changed or are you the same same guy you were when, when in your first company? No, it's definitely evolved. Um, I've, I've grown to become kind of a huge proponent of continued learning. I don't hire people that are good at one thing or static workers um, because as soon as we d- we're not working on that project or what their skill set is, they become uh, not useless, but they. I, I need people that are great teammates and willing to lead and learn uh, when necessary to move things forward. So that's kind of my philosophy. Everyone I bring onto the team uh, has to be someone that provides more than one value uh, and is willing and able to learn so that if – one man goes down just like a sports team. Uh, there's somebody else to, to jump in and, and take the realm as needed, uh, but together work as a team. So that's kind of what I've grown to, to appreciate, and I think part of that has to be from, from me being a college athlete. Like I, I enjoy the team, uh, and, for example, I ran track, I ran hurdles, but when I ran the relays, you've got four guys going around the track, and that exchange is the most important part. Uh, and if you don't have a clean exchange, then you don't have a clean finish. Uh, so. That's, that's kind of the, the types of teams I like to build. I also, though, I, I, I tend to be like a GI. Like I, I, I like people that are hardworking and work even harder than I am, but I don't like to be the smartest person in the room all the time. So I love bringing on people from different walks of life, different companies uh, that may know a lot more than me at a specific one thing as well, uh, but then willing to share that across the board with all of our team members. 
Well, that's great to hear because I, I can't tell you how many times I've met people that if they're not the smartest person in the room, they're not comfortable. And so they end, their companies struggle, they fail um, because they just bring in people who aren't going to challenge them, who aren't going to push them to do different things, um, and, and they really struggle. And so the, the, those people that, you know, want really smart people in the organization, they want people who can, you know, really, that could replace you tomorrow, right? They can come in and do your job, maybe do it better than you can. That's usually the best way to grow and to really find that next level by taking, kind of upgrading your talent, upgrading your company by bringing in the best people you can find uh, and not just people who will, you know, look up to you and do everything you say and, you know, and like you said, being the smartest person in the room, that can really be a challenge. Yeah, I used to get slack in my old company because I would, uh, if someone at the company asked me how I did something, whether it's Photoshop, whatever it may be, I was willing to teach them. And some people would look at that, well, why would you teach somebody else uh, in your company to be, be able to do your job? Like, then they could replace you. But my, my whole philosophy is that I want everybody to be replaceable in the company. Like, everyone should be able to do everyone's job, because that's how you have a, a company that, and team, really, that can work together. Because um, if one man goes down, like I said, then you need someone to replace them, and that's odds are it's going to be someone sitting right next to you, and you need to be able to work that way. And, and that scenario you just mentioned, that's a pretty scary culture to be living in if people are afraid <laughs> to teach anybody anything. Because uh, they, you know, be be replaced. I mean, there's some real issues there. So uh, that's usually a pretty good sign of an unhealthy culture. And I, I'm sure you've experienced different, you know, company cultures. Some companies you've had, companies you've worked in, um, and your different experiences. So, you know, what is the culture you would like to see in the companies that you develop and lead? Is there kind of an ideal that you're always striving for? Yeah. So. I've actually started companies now with two of my former teammates. Um, I, I tend who are from all walks of life. Like Cedric with, was no log was from Switzerland, um, came to us on a track scholarship. Uh, Brian, co-founder of Motos, originally from Zimbabwe. Um, same thing, came on a track scholarship. He was a two time Olympian. Um, I, I tend to work very, very closely with my friendships and they, they tend to then turn into relationships for business. Um, and the culture that I've built, I mean, we have people on the team anywhere from Iowa to Egypt, uh, where they're from anyways. They all live here. They've relocated to Seattle. But I, I'm all about going to recruit the best minds in an industry or profession uh, and then create a go- great culture around a common goal, which for us is creating the best home services company possible. And, and then if we look at, you know, kind of you as a CEO, you, you really have that chance to influence other uh, potential leaders within your own business, but also within your network. So, when you think about you know leadership development, what do you see as some of the things that you want others to really know about what it takes to develop leaders and, and, and the talent that's around them? So I, I definitely think that uh, leadership uh, is both something that you're born with, but also can be taught. Most people say it's one or the other. Um, but I think if you surround yourself with enough leaders, you tend to learn from each of them. Every company I've learned at, whether the culture uh, was different than one or the other, whether it's a PR firm or another startup. Uh, the leaders in those I've taken a little bit from, and that's kind of built what I am as a leader. Uh, and I've been lucky enough to be uh, a part of uh, other great startups and other agencies to do that. Uh, for me, building that same culture, like I want people to take from what I've now learned from those other leaders and take a piece from me. You don't have to take everything from me, but I want people that are part of my company and or people that walk away from my company uh, as we grow and, and continue to go, they go on to better things or whatever it may be, um, that they're truly learning something while they're at work as well. Just how to develop leaders and become leaders, um, I, I think is something that's very important. Uh, and for us, we find that by just finding a diverse team of people of all sorts of backgrounds. We have people that are designers, people that used to be uh, landscapers, obviously, from, from our industry, people that used to work at John Deere, whatever it may be, all walks of life. And those different people I worked at different organizations with different leadership types. Uh, I come from a military background. My All my family is military. So uh, I'm all about, like, folding the, the corners to your bed and all that kind of stuff, like making sure your, your eyes are dotted and your teeth are crossed. Uh, but at the same time, I've kind of become a little bit more laid-back leadership from working uh, with other leaders in other industries uh, because I've learned that that's some people, that's what they need. Not everyone can be led the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And and so if you have that kind of a, a inclusive leadership style and you're looking to do those things you talked about, I mean, that's it's not going to guarantee success, but it certainly puts you on the road to success. We all, you need to have a, a good idea. You need to have a, a good market. And there's all these other factors, but all things being equal, those are those are fantastic things for you to be focusing on. It sounds like uh, 
those people involved in your organizations probably really appreciate uh, your leadership. You know, kind of looking at if you could really pinpoint, you know, one or two people that you think that helped form you as a leader. You talked about kind of grabbing onto those other things that the leaders can give. You know, was there one or two people in your life that really impacted who you are today as a leader? Uh, yes, I would say a part of it came from athletics. Uh, my former coach at Florida State, Ken Harden, was a national champion in the hurdles, and he's originally from Zimbabwe. He's now the coach at University of Georgia. Um, I was a walk-on in college. Like, I had to earn my own way to that. Um, and he surrounded us with the best athletes. Like, there's, I think, 16 of my teammates went to the Olympics. Like, so I was, like, the walk-on that had to come to work every day to try to be better. Uh, but to a point, he uh, looked up at me because he actually entrusted me with helping to host recruits. So even though I was just a walk-on, I was working my butt off so much that he, he realized that I was able to host the recruits, and they actually started coming to the school. So we had guys that would get, like, first and second at – at nationals and i had actually hosted those guys and it was it was awesome experience to be part of um but the way he led was by bringing the best people and then bringing literally the next best person as well to compete with that person because if you don't have somebody that's keeping you on your toes competing um then it's really really hard you, you're going to fault um so you, you need someone to keep pushing you every every day uh, which is why you hire the best people that continue to push you or like you said earlier somebody that could arguably replace you first so for me it'd be my coach and then also also my family uh, i grew up in a military family like i said both my mom and my dad were in the marine corps uh, they've really structured my life in a way that makes me uh, want to be super uh, motivated and lead in the way I do. So uh, basically, coaches, uh, as far as business goes, um, all my business partners that I've ever worked with, I'm 29 years old. I've worked with people that are 50, 60 years old, and I've worked with people that are 18. Um, I've helped people, other startups, entrepreneurs, um, other people have helped me. Just being able to pass that on is something that's been super valuable to me. Anybody that reaches out to me, I'm, I'm always willing to help and uh, they send, they seem to pass that forward too, which I, I really enjoy about the startup community. One of our favorite questions to ask our guests, because uh, we get just the most varied and unusual and also helpful answers, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? I am actually not currently reading any books, and however, I do read Hacker News, just Y Combinator's kind of uh, news of startups. I'm a huge proponent of Reddit, and then I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, one in particular is called Inside Outside. They actually focus on investors and entrepreneurs outside the Valley. So whether that's in L.A. or uh, these guys, for example, are from Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, and a lot of great things have come out of Lincoln, Nebraska. That's actually where we started Moto. So big proponent of podcasts, Hacker News, and Reddit. And basically, I get lost in those websites. Like you end up being on a thread, and before <laughs> you know it, you're learning so much more. And that's what I really, really love about it is that uh, it's coming from one real people uh, and then also – uh, it's just you don't know what you're going to read until you get in there, and then uh, you can just pick a, a thread that interests you, and then before you know it, you can contribute. And I also like being able to contribute. If I'm reading a book, I can't necessarily contribute to it. I like podcasts and um, similar to what you're doing right now where people can actually like tweet in and stuff like that. I think that's that's huge, uh, more so than reading a book for me. Uh, however, I have read books like uh, The 4-Hour Workweek and all that kind of jazz. Um, but podcasts and definitely just online news is, is where I get most of my hour of reading, per se, a day. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you bring up Tim Ferriss, and it's interesting uh, for our work week. He's actually recommended a few books recently in the last year that uh, I have found even more impactful than his own book. So, kind of talking about you know <laughs> someone that can replace you. I mean, he's he's kind of found some other gems that I have kind of got, even gone a, a, on top of my list above some of his books, which are fantastic. I love all of his books and his blogs. Uh, his blogs, I think, you know, to your point. You can find so much information, kind of get lost into some of that uh, different stuff that's not necessarily a quote-unquote book, um, and you can get exposed to those topics in a very, you know, kind of quick way as opposed to, you know, for me, listening to a book or reading a book is a much longer experience, and a, my wife can, like, read a book in a day. I'm, I'm like, read a book in a month kind of a person because I just don't have the time to, <laughs> to sit and do that. But, yeah, it, it, anything, anything you're doing as an entrepreneur or as a person in general to find those ways to get better and to be challenged in your own mindset is, is great. So uh, that's what's why we ask the and question. We always get such different answers. It's incredible. Yeah, and I found myself reading, like, publications, like, Lawn and Landscapes, stuff like that. That's, like, industry-specific stuff to me as well, which I typically wouldn't have read otherwise. Uh, right. But now I'm, like, so embedded into it that I, I love learning new stuff every single day about the industry and uh, even the boring stuff, uh, but that's, that's kind of what you have to do as a founder is, is, is really live and breathe uh, everything about what your startup is, is trying to solve. So. so if people are more interested in learning more about uh, your company, whether they, if it's uh, the time of year they need their, their, their lawn mowed or 
maybe their family member is is off far away, or maybe it's a the, the snow plowing as well you talked about. So how can people learn more about Moto? Yep, so they can go on Moto's website. It's just the word Mo, M-O-W-D-O.com, or if you just go to Mo.do, it'll take you to the same website as well. Uh, and then we are right now creating partnerships for Snowdo. Uh, if you know anybody out there that owns a lawn care company or snow removal company, uh, we'd love to partner up with them uh, in addition to help you and your families with uh, the snow this winter. Um, we're piloting that in Chicago uh, first, but um, obviously elsewhere we'd love to grow as well. So um, you can get a hold of me uh, via that website. And then also anybody can email me. It's just team at moto.com. Um, it'll go to me as well. So I will, I will read it. I will respond. Mike at moto is my personal email. Uh, more than happy. Um, also, if you have Twitter, you can also just tweet at us. I will spend the next week or so continuing to follow up on anything that comes from this podcast. And I really appreciate you letting me be on the show and look forward to anybody's questions and helping other entrepreneurs. Mike, I really appreciate you joining us today. It sounds like we need to maybe schedule you down the, the road and find out how the Snowdo uh, venture turned out. But we're you're really fascinated to hear how that goes. And best of luck to you and your company. And uh, we enjoyed uh, learning more about you guys in L.A. And now, of course, going a dive, a deep dive here with you uh, has been great. So thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you having me. And thanks to you and all your listeners. All right, so be sure to tune in 1 uh, p.m. Pacific Standard Time next Tuesday, November 3rd. My guest will include Dan uh, Kettleson, co-author of The uh, Gen Z Effect, and uh, Raina First, author and West Coast Director of Sales at uh, Lambia Nutritionals. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2.